You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. All right, well, hello, Grace Family Church. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the campus pastor at the Temple Terrace campus. I'd just like to, to welcome all of you, uh, all of you that are watching online, all of you in this room, and of course, at all of our seven campuses. And if you haven't been with us, we are in our last week of our series called Discovering Grace, where we've walked through really the values of Grace Family Church. And if you haven't been here for it, it's, it's very simple. We made it an acronym to make it easy to remember. It's G, which is generational. It's R, which is relational. It's A, which means we're all authentic. It's C, meaning we're committed, our time, talents, our treasure. And E, we're evangelistic, meaning we want to reach outside of these four walls. What I've really enjoyed during this series is watch many of you type A people get frustrated with the fact that we did them in reverse. Like my wife is like, why, why did we start with E? What's going on? It's okay. It's just, we're, we're changing things up just to make you uncomfortable. It's fine. But we did. Here's what we want to do. We want to start it off the year with vision, with letting you know these are what our values are because that's what you do at the beginning of the year. And for me, I, I know a lot of people, they, they set New Year's resolutions. I'm not a big New Year's resolution person. I, I just haven't been that because everyone does them. And since everyone does them, I don't do them. I just make fun of people that do them. Yeah, it's wrong. But this year, I kind of had to do one uh, because between Thanksgiving and New Year's Day, I think I thought I was in some sort of race to get ready for hibernation, like eating as much as possible. And I didn't think it was really like that noticeable until one of my sons said, Dad, I'm growing just like you. <laughs> do you know what a will is, son? No? Good. You don't need to know anymore. <laughs> Go outside. So I didn't set a New Year's resolution. I set 30, 60, and 90-day goals. And I've decided, okay, I want to turn these goals into habits, so how do I do that? I love reading about habits. I love reading, reading about how our mind works. And one of the big things that we've understood now is uh, the people that do the most things right, it's not because they have this infinite amount of willpower. We all have a finite amount of willpower. It's the fact that they've developed habits along the way. And one of the biggest things they talk about with habits is the people that stay with their habits the most are not the perfectionists. It's actually the people that can fail and start again the next day. So it's like when you are on a diet and you go to Cheesecake Factory like no one should, and you eat off the lighter fare, but then you eat your cheesecake and half of your wife's. Instead of spiraling, you start back the next day. It's, it's that morning where you know, the alarm is going off over and over and you hit the snooze button 18 times. It's not that you just go, well, you know what? I'll start trying to work out again next January 1st. No, you just get up and you start again. Because those that fail and are able to get back up are the ones that set the habits. Seth Godin said it this way. He says, those that fail the most are the ones that will actually win the most. Because it's only when you fail and you learn from it do you even get to try again. And so the idea that he's trying to get at and that I want to get at here early in this message is failure is normal. Failure is normal. It's something all of us do. right? We, we all fail. We all know that we fail. My, my three-year-old, we're trying to teach him to go to the bathroom in the potty, and he's sitting there, he's going, Dad, why do I have to do this? I'm like, because everyone does this. Everyone poops in the potty, but you. Everyone poops. Look, everyone fails. We all know we fail, right? We all know everybody else fails. Then why do we have such a hard time admitting it? Why do we have such a hard time when we are around each other going, you know what, I failed and you failed, let's help each other. And why is it when we walk through the doors of the church, we have this idea that we have to act perfect? 
There's this idea somewhere along the way that, you know, if you become a Christian, then all of a sudden God's going to make everything right. And if you're not right, you must be doing something wrong. So you need to act like you have it all right. See, I think we need to get to the place where we understand that failure is a part of life because it's only when we recognize our failure is when we can truly be authentic. See, I think we've even changed the idea of what authenticity is. Or if you told somebody to be real, I think if you told somebody, hey, you need to be real, they're like, okay, and they get puffed up and then they tell everybody in the room what's wrong with them. And we see it as like, hey, look, I can see other people's problems. Big deal, everyone can. Here's what authenticity actually is. It's not a license to reveal others' failures, but the ability to be honest about our own. It's not a license to point out everybody else's faults, but it's the ability to actually be honest about our own. And I think this is paramount in the church. We must be a place where people can be honest about their failure. We must be a place where people can be honest about their sin. And especially as pastors, we must do the same thing. Because one of the worst things that I see happening in a church is a pastor that acts like he has everything together, so much so that the people stop following Jesus and they start following the pastor. As in the last thing we need for you to do is to put one of us, any pastor at any campus, on a pedestal as if that is who you're supposed to be like. The only person we're supposed to be like is Jesus. See, we know this from the beginning. The Bible says it, Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. The word everyone in Greek, it means everyone. Everyone, all of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. What does this mean? This means we all sin. We've all messed up. No matter where you live, whatever time period you have lived in, we have all sinned. God knew this. God understood this. So he goes, you know what? Sin separates me from you. So I'm gonna put a plan into place to take care of that. So he sent his son down to this earth. And for the first time we were offered forgiveness. First John 1, 9, it's God's answer. It says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Which means what? God says, hey, I know you're going to sin. I know it's going to happen, but I've given you this forgiveness thing so that you don't have to sit in it anymore. Forgiveness is always the way back in a relationship with God, but forgiveness is always the way back in relationships with others also. It's always the way back in relationships. See, understanding that we fail helps us understand that we're gonna mess up and we're gonna need forgiveness, but understand that that's something everyone does helps us understand that we will have to forgive others. See, I want us, I want us to do this, and this may sound weird, but I think we gotta do it. I think we must normalize failure. I think we should normalize failure, and here's why. Because when we normalize failure, we can normalize forgiveness. When we normalize failure, we can normalize forgiveness. Which means this, when I sin, when I mess up, I'm not surprised by it. I don't sit in condemnation and guilt. I go, I serve a God that knew this was going to happen. He's ready to forgive me so I can walk with him. In the same way, when someone hurts me, I'm not surprised by it. I actually go back to that person. We talk through things, we forgive each other and we work towards healing. And it's because of that forgiveness, because of that understanding. See, that's what God's heart is about, is keeping relationship. Now guys, I'm not talking about the massive things. I'm not talking about the abuse and those things. But if we're honest, I, I believe this. If we look at our relationships through the years, the biggest reason we have lost relationship with a lot of people is not over the big things, it's over the small things that we never dealt with. 
So for the things that we look back five years ago and go, why did we, why were we fighting? It's the things that when we allow the space, we allow the enemy to come in and add lies and add reasons why we shouldn't be around that person. See, when we normalize failure, here's what's so great. We normalize honesty. And when we normalize honesty is when community can actually happen. See, hear me in this. Biblical community cannot happen without authenticity. Biblical community cannot happen without authenticity because it's impossible to care for someone if you don't know what they're walking through. It's impossible to lift somebody up if you don't know they're in a pit. It's impossible to keep somebody accountable if you don't know the temptations that they struggle with. Because it's only possible for biblical community to happen if we have an honesty with one another. When we get down to it and realize, hey, we're all fallible people. We all mess up. Let's do this together. But I think what happens is we get turned off by the mess of it. And it is messy. Relationships are messy. And some of us, we've been hurt or, or some of us, we're just, we're just introverts or some of us, we just go, you know what? This is not a, a good time. I, I don't have that ability. And so we say this as we go, you know, what? I'm not gonna do the community part, but I'm gonna read God's word. I'm gonna pray. And, and that's gonna be enough. And I wanna say this as clearly as possible. It is impossible to live the Christian life without community. It's impossible. How, you're saying I can't be a good person? No, you can be a good person. You can know a lot about the Bible. You just can't live the Christian life. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus said, most important commandments, love God, love others. Jesus said to the disciples, he said to the church, he said, hey, the world is gonna know that you are my followers by the way you love one another. Look, you can't love other people when there's no proximity. It's impossible to love others if you're not in community with them. So when I say it's impossible, the reason I say it's impossible is because we can't do it unless we're next to people. And look, some of you are in here, you're like, how, that must be easy for you because you're an extrovert. <laughs> nope, I'm an introvert. For those that have met me off the stage, you understand. The amount of people I see meet me afterwards and they all do the same thing. They just go, huh. Because they expect this level and then they, they don't get it. They're like, how? You're, you're, you're an extrovert. You have to be. How do you get up on stage? Look, this is the most introverted thing that I do. This is a one-way conversation. No active listening on my part. You guys remember active listening? Apparently staring at your wife while she talks is not good enough. To smile and nod. It's funny because I talked to Pastor Mike Ash, who's the South Tampa campus pastor, and he just, lo he, he loves to hug everybody. I told him one day, I'm like, look, in your mind, because you're an extrovert, you think everybody wants a hug from you. In my mind, I don't think anyone wants a hug from me because I don't want a hug. And this is, this is who I, I, I do things on my own. I, I really do re-energize on my own. And I've always been this way. And I've always tried to do things on my own. Any projects around the house, I try to do it on my own. Because of YouTube, man, I can work on my truck. I can do all kinds of things. And there's times where it's like, you should have two people. And I don't use two people because I don't want my friend next door to help out because then I'll owe him. And then maybe I'll have to help him build a dock. 
And I'll tell you what, it's easy not to have community as a pastor because every group you're in, you're expected to be the one that knows all the information. It's easy to do that. And I'll be honest with you, for years, that's exactly what I did. And even in marriage, I go, well, I've got her, so one, that's good. But the problem was, as we went through it, it was fine at first, but then we hit, we hit the biggest bump, we hit the biggest pothole in our entire marriage. And if you've heard our story last Mother's Day, Chrissy and I were up here and we shared about our story. The fact that she was sexually abused as a kid, the fact that she didn't tell anyone about it because she was afraid if she told anyone, they would look at her the wrong way, that they, they would believe that it was her fault and all of these things. And so she did not tell anyone for the first 15 years until five years into our marriage, she finally opened up about it. And so we found a counselor, but that counselor didn't work out. And so I just went, you know what? I can do this on my own. I'm a pastor. I've helped people through other things. And then I started to, to, to say these things to myself. Like, yeah, I don't want other people to know because if they knew about this, it may put you know, a damper on who she is. It may limit her ministry. And if they knew this about us, then maybe they wouldn't allow us into places and to do ministry at different levels. And what I started to do without realizing it was perpetuating the same lie that she had believed her entire life. when what she needed the most was a group of women to surround her. What I needed the most was a group of men to surround me. We needed a community. We needed help. Married people, why is it that the worse the argument gets, the more we pull away from community? Why is it the worse our marriage gets, the more we pull away from community? as if more time with the two people who caused the problem is gonna help. And for all the single people going, yeah, why is it every time you get a serious boyfriend or girlfriend, you disappear? Why is it all of a sudden during this time where you're trying to find the person that you're going to marry, the, one of the biggest decisions that you will ever make, and all of a sudden you disappear from everyone else? And I hear some single people, well, all my friends are dumb. Fine, get new ones. Go to the exchange, get some new friends, go to Courageous and Beautiful and find some people that are older than you that can give you wise advice. Look, we need community at every stage of life. When we got married, we needed a community. When we had kids, we needed community because parenting is hard. When we started fostering, we needed community. Now that we've adopted, we need community. I've got a three-year-old black son that I'm trying to figure out. How do I help him navigate this world? How do we walk through this? Guys, God sends us the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us. But his goal was never for us to just do it alone. He's like, I've created a community. I've called it a family because it's what you need. See, community is something that all of us need, and we see it from the very beginning of the church. Acts 2.42, it says this, says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. From the very beginning, they came together. And actually, one of the biggest reasons they came together, and this is going to sound weird, but one of the worst things to happen to biblical community was literacy. 
Because in Jesus' day, 90% of the people were illiterate, so they had to go over to the guy's house who could read, and he would read the Bible. And they would talk about it. And they were so excited that they got to hear the Bible. They'd come the next day and they'd hear the Bible and they'd talk about it and they would do life together. But somewhere along the way, we learned how to read. We have a Bible at our home. We have a Bible app at our home. And we think our entire knowledge of the Bible should rely on our study alone. God never meant that. Guys, just think about this for a minute. Who are the people that come up with the weirdest concepts? Loners. Right? The people, like you hear of a guy coming off a mountain that hasn't been off a mountain in 40 years, you're not expecting high intelligence. You're expecting some weird ideas. That's what we do. When we get alone with God's word and we don't include community, we start to make it all about us and only us. And it starts to just fit us. When what we understand is as we go through God's word and we learn it in community, it actually helps us go forward. Galatians 6, one to three says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Now, I, I, need to I need people to understand this because I hear people say this all the time who are Christians and they start to go off in the wrong direction and somebody tries to help them and correct them and they go, hey, you're just judging me. No, we're helping you. If you're headed towards a pit, it is our obligation as Christians, according to this verse, to help you stop, to keep you from it, to help you up. It says, and be careful not to fall in the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. This is very direct. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So I think so many times when we talk about community as Christians, we focus on how important it is to us. And we tell you, hey, you need to be in community. You need to be in community for you. You do. But there's another side. You need to be in community for somebody else. Yes, you are missing out on the Christian life at its fullest by not being in community, but somebody else is also missing out because you're not there. It says in the Bible that we are a body and each one of us has a part to play. And we have an obligation to each other to help one another. You're like, I have nothing to share. Yes, you do. You don't realize it. God's walked you through things. God's helped you in things. God's put you in different situations where you are the perfect person to help somebody right where they are. Number one excuse, though, I get for community or not wanting to be in community is how you don't understand I've been hurt by the church. You don't understand I've been hurt by the church. And look, I get it. Church hurt is a very real thing. I think it's one of the biggest reasons that people deconstruct their faith. They go, you know what? I left the church because of this. I left my faith because of church hurt. And it's an interesting thing to say, to be so surprised by church hurt when we understand what? We all fail. So I'm gonna say this this way, and this is gonna sound wrong, but, but it is absolutely correct. Church hurt is normal but how we respond to it as Christians shouldn't be. I wish it wasn't. And there's some of you right now go, how dare you say that? How dare you say that church hurt is normal? Of course it's normal. We all sin. Have you noticed in the Bible, God, like when Jesus was talking, he didn't say, hey, don't hurt each other. Don't mess with each other. Don't sin against each other. What did he say? He said, forgive each other, care for each other. 
In Colossians 3.13, it actually says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And when we have a problem with somebody, we look to the Bible, Matthew 22. We go and we talk to that person. If they don't hear it, we bring somebody with us. If they don't hear it, we bring somebody from the church. If they don't hear it, we step back. And look, I'm not saying there's not church hurt that's big enough to cause you to leave a group or leave a church. Absolutely. I've seen abuse of power. I've seen physical abuse, sexual abuse, all those things. That has happened. That has happened. And there should be a time of healing. But hear me on this. Church hurt is never a reason to give up on the church or community. It's not. God would never say, you know what? You've been hurt. Don't try again. Because everything God does and everything God wants to do in your life will come through community. John Wesley, who was a pastor during one of the biggest revivals in United States history, says this, says, you must find companions or make them. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. In fact, I'll even go to this place. If you have been hurt so much by a group at Grace Family Church that you don't feel like you can go to a group, we would rather you go to a church where you could find a group. Because I would rather you be in community than just be a part of the crowd. Because you're not being cared for. You're not being watched out for. And so much of what we do as Christians involves other people. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think people sometimes, they always come and talk to the pastors about church hurt, not realizing the amount that sometimes we get. We have a, a lot of emails, and Facebook messages. Those are the worst. I don't even, do not Facebook message me. I don't pay attention to them. Half of them start off with a lot of curse words and calling me a lot of names. But church hurt for me started the moment I got into ministry, literally the moment. My ver- I, I was helping out at a church. I became the guy ahead of youth. Um, and my very first night of youth ministry, very first night, I'm there, I'm excited. I'm ready for the students to come in. This lady walks in with her daughter, goes, hey, here's the deal. As soon as they hire a real youth pastor, my daughter will come back. Cool. And then my next church in West Palm Beach The youth group was actually going well. Things were going okay. But of course, not everybody likes you. And one of the leaders came up to the lead pastor while I was standing next to him. And he says, this experiment, and he pointed at me, I think is over. Someone's like, how do you react? She turned the other cheek. I'm like, no, I wanted to slap his. (laughs) In fact, I had to stop following the guy on Facebook because every time he would fail or do anything wrong, I got too much happiness out of it. Like I wanted, seriously, I wanted to write underneath. I guess this experiment is over. (laughs) I'm worried about how close some of you feel to me right now. (laughs) But it's true. We've gone through it. And at the same time, I have caused church hurt. I know I have. From things I've said from the pulpit to things I've done in purpose. And look, I don't think I'd share this story if we weren't talking about authenticity because I hate this story. I hate it. Because when you, you just say something so idiotic in a moment and you can't take those words back. I still remember my wife and I, we were only a year or two married and we started having a small group at our apartment. And we had this girl in our small group who was married, but her husband would not come to the small group and he would not come to church because he had gone through church hurt. And we would pray for him every single week for him to come. And then all of a sudden he shows up. 
And it was great. We had a great night of small group. It was a great time. Then as we're ending, we're just kind of talking about things. I'm talking about youth ministry. I'm talking about the the importance of education. And I just, I say something that I've heard many times and we've probably heard it before, but you know, it's a dumb thing to say and it's not true. I just said, you know, I tell all the students, I'm like, hey, you guys need to finish your education or you're just gonna become a trash collector. And he's sitting next to me he says, my dad was a trash collector. He just got up every morning, worked really hard. He provided for me and my family. He helped us get through school. Why would you tell these kids that that wouldn't be something that they could aim for? And there was nothing to say in the moment except apologizing. There's no backing away from it. I apologize. I called him up and I apologize. I text and I apologize. And I love to say that he forgave and he came back, but he never did and never saw him again. Saw his wife a couple more times and then she stopped coming too. The hard part is I just look at him like, that's just dumb. <laughs> What's interesting is my, my sister married into a family who is in the trash business and they all retired millionaires. <laughs> so it shows what I know. Jesus had hurt. Jesus had to forgive his closest community on a regular basis. And what we see in scripture is very, very crucial. We see it's when we take a personal faith that we have and we use it, that's when we grow. I think many times we think growth is just in knowledge. No, growth is when that knowledge becomes a part of what you do. In fact, I'll say it this way. We will grow the most when our personal faith is put to work in a community of believers. And I hear people say this all the time. Well, I wanna grow, I wanna go deeper. Okay, are you in community? Do you serve? Do you serve other people in your community? Do you teach? Because, look, hear me on this. Maturity in the Christian faith has never been defined by how much you know, but what you do with what you know. In fact, the more you know is the more you're held responsible for. I mean, you see the early Christians in the early church, all they knew was who Jesus was and they invited as many people as they could. And the church grew, why? Because they just talked about what they knew. Guys, the reason God wants us in community is not just so we can learn, it's so we can grow. And it's only in community where we use our gifts and talents. It's only in community where we get to help others back up. It's only in community where we, keep to, we allow ourselves to steer people towards God, not away from them. It's only in community where we learn how to be encouragers, where we learn how to be prayer warriors for other people. It's only in community where our faith comes to life. It's only in community where growth happens. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Who's being sharpened? Both people. That's why it frustrates me so much after the first night of small groups when I talk to people and I go, hey, how did your first night of small groups go? They go, well, I didn't get anything out of it, so I'm not going back. Did you give anything? Because maybe that night wasn't for you. Maybe that night was for somebody else at the table. Maybe your job in that moment was to encourage. See, I think in Mark 2, you'll see a story of four friends and a man who is paralytic. See, these four friends knew that Jesus was in town. They're like, we gotta get our friend to Jesus. He was paralytic, so they, they put him on a mat and each one picked up a side and they took him to where Jesus was. 
The house was so filled with people that they couldn't get the man before Jesus. So they went up on the roof, they dug through the roof and they lowered the man down in front of Jesus. What's amazing to me is that Mark does not record how the homeowner felt about this. You're like, Jesus, um, can you heal a roof? And Jesus heals that man. Here, here's why I tell that story. Because I believe this, a good bit of the time in community, you're holding a corner. And then sometimes you're on the mat. But without community, there is no help and you're not helping anyone. You need community and a community needs you. So we have a choice. For those of you that are already in community, I just wanna encourage you, protect that community, work for that community. For those that are not in community yet, find a group. We have a lot of groups. And if a group at your campus doesn't work, look at the other ones. We have seven. Not all of them are that far from each other. You can get there. And if none of those work, look, we have something that we've been talking about that I think is so incredibly powerful. Start a neighborhood group. Start a group in your home. Grab some people from your neighborhood. You're like, how, I've never led a group. We have people on staff right now that are just waiting to walk alongside you, to help you, to resource you, to give you all the curriculum that you will need so that all you have to do is facilitate conversation. And let me say this, there are people in your neighborhood that will never walk through those doors, but will walk into your living room. We all have the ability to start a group, whether it's on campus, off campus, at a Starbucks, whatever it may be, we need to find community. So here's what you do. Text connect to 81313. Text connect to 813, 81313. Do it right now. You'll see in there. You can sign up for a group. Look through all the groups. Find the one that's right for you. Or you can start a group. Fill out that form. We would love to get in contact with you and help you in that. See, God didn't want you to just join him. He wanted you to join a family. And that's what it's about family. And we say family is our middle name. And for some of you in this room, you're realizing this. You're going, I just thought it was about a relationship with God, but it's also about a family. That's something that I don't have in my life. And look, if you have yet to start, if you yet to join this family, it's very simple. It's just believing that Jesus is who he says he was, admitting that we sin, we fail, asking for forgiveness and deciding to walk with him every day. And if that's you, if you wanna do that today, what I wanna do is pray, say a prayer out loud that you can say quietly right where you're at and start that relationship. If we could, if everybody could bow their heads and close their eyes. If you wanna start that relationship, you wanna join this family, won't you say this prayer out loud as I say it, I, silently right where I say it out loud. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. God, I believe in your son, Jesus, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. God, today I'm committing my life to you. Thank you for your love and thank you that I get to join this family. God, we thank you for loving us first. And in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, that is the greatest decision you will ever make. And look, we wanna help you with some next steps, some next steps of joining a group, some next steps of getting baptized tonight. And so in order to help you in that, what I'm gonna do right now is ask the campus pastor to come up and close out the service.
Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.